Welcome to Mac Geek Gab, episode 932 for Monday, June 13th, 2022. Greetings, folks, and welcome to Mac Geek Gab, the show where for 17 years... As of today, we have been answering your questions, sharing your tips, sharing your cool stuff found, although cool stuff found in quick tips were segments that came later. Even questions came a little bit later, but pretty close to the beginning, because the goal is now these days in 2022 for each of us to learn at least five new things every time we get together. Sponsors for this episode include... BB Edit from Barebones Software at barebones.com and New Relic, where at newrelic.com slash MGG, you can get a hundred gigs of data free forever. No credit card required. We'll talk more in depth about each of those because you're going to want to learn about what New Relic's doing and how it can help you. It's amazing. And BB Edit, one of my favorite apps, it's open all the time on my computer because it does so many great things with text. We'll talk more about those in a minute. For now, here in Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton. And here in Fairfield, Connecticut, this is John of Braun. And here in Lee, New Hampshire, is uh, Pilot Pete. Happy 17 MGG anniversary, gents. Yeah, happy. Yeah, like, it's amazing. We are, uh, as, as, as uh, Brian8944 in our Discord room at live.macgeekab.com pointed out this morning, uh, the show can now watch R-rated movies here in the United States. There you go. Exactly. Yeah. Almost old enough to drink. Uh, one point of personal privilege I'd like to mention. Uh, there's a gent by the name of Ray lives here in the Seacoast area, and he drives uh, elderly folks uh, around to get to doctor's appointments, uh, things like that. Uh, so uh, it turns out uh, he was driving my uh, my mother earlier this week, and they put it together that uh, he's an MGG listener. and. My mother was surprised. Wait, what? You're on the radio? Well, kind of, Mom. Not exactly. But well, why didn't you tell me? I said, you didn't ask. She says, well, were you on TV? I said, no. She goes, well, I'm asking. <laughs> so, but uh, thank you to Ray for providing that service to people out there who are otherwise uh, uh, less mobile than they used to be and feeling a little bit shut in. That's Amazing. Yeah. Kind of you, sir. Yeah. Thank you, Ray. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for being a listener. Thanks for doing yeoman's work out there. It's good stuff. Yeah. Happy to be uh, happy to have you in the Mac Geek Cab family, Ray. Yeah. 17 years. It's, um, you know, this show started before the iPhone existed. Like, there's a reason that it's called Mac Geek Gab. And, and that reason is 100% credited to my wife. The first episode was not called Mac Geek Gab. It was called TMO to Go. And you can find the first episode, if you want, at mgg.fm slash one, because that's how it works now on our new site. So any episode number you want is mgg.fm slash one whatever episode number, and that will get you there. And you will hear episode one and it's called TMO to go. Uh, I think it was, I think it was the second episode where we called it Mac geek gab. Uh, and that was Lisa's. She's like, Hey, you should call it the geek gab. And I was like, Oh, and then I, of course I was the one that put Mac in front of it. She was much smarter than me and still is. Uh, because if we had just kept it at geek gab, it, it wouldn't have been so, you know, pigeonholed into one product that Apple has of many now. 
<laughs> Dave, Dave, I'm sorry you opened the door, man. I'm going to mention you said mention pre-show or post-show, but I'm going to mention it. Lisa's smarter than you. So I ran across this thing today as a comedian by the name of Don McMillan. Search for him on YouTube. He has Boolean proof as to why your wife is always raised. So just search uh, for Don McMillan, M-C-M-I-L-L-A-N. And uh, it, he's a comedian, but he has a chart that he fills out and proves via logic, true and false. So why your wife is always right. The, the link is in the Sorry, show notes. You don't even have to go that far. It's already there. No, it's it's it, actually it's really funny. The guy's a former uh, recovering software engineer, maybe or hardware yeah. engineer, perhaps even. But yeah, he walks everybody through, everybody through Boolean logic in a in a actually very humorous way. I I, I liked it. That's good. Yeah. Uh, all right, let's get into some quick tips because uh, we know if you have any questions about what we've done over the. The, the last 17 years, you can ask us, but you can ask us literally anything. That's what we're here for. Feedback at MacGeekGab.com. Did you say feedback at MacGeekGab.com? You said feedback at MacGeekGab.com. Which also wasn't the email address that we used 17 years ago, but things have changed. One thing that I think probably did work 17 years ago, but I stumbled onto it again and put it in the show here as a quick tip is if you grab a window, you know, you have multiple windows up on your Mac and you grab a window with the mouse and you drag it, it becomes to the front, right? That's just how that works. Well, if you command and then click and drag on a window, it will move the window, but it will leave it wherever it is in the stack of windows. So it doesn't bring it to the front. It doesn't push it to the back. It leaves it right where it is, but you can move it around. So command drag a window to keep its background position. If it's the frontmost window, it will remain the frontmost window as well, of course. So, but yeah, it's it's one of my, I love that little tip and I love doing that. That's going to be very it. useful, I guarantee, because there's times when you want to move a window. Yeah. So you can get to it quickly, but, but you still want, you don't want to kill what you're doing. Yeah, you, you've, you've built this stack, right? And you yeah. like the way it is, but it's like, I just want to nudge that thing over to the left so I can see a thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, no, it's great. Yeah. Speaking of command clicking, I accidentally did something in mail the other day. I was on my, let's say my inbox, it doesn't matter. And I command clicked on another mailbox in mail sidebar and the view changed to a consolidated view of those two mailboxes. And so I tried a third and it says at the top three mailboxes. So if you, you have multiple mailboxes that you want to see the results or the contents of, and then because of the way mail works, you can search and it will only search those three mailboxes if you, unless you change the focus. Uh, really handy little thing. I've already used it a bunch of times. So, you know. And I had a question about that tip pre-show. And I'm like, well, Dave, what do you mean? I command click on a mailbox and it doesn't do anything for me. Right. Uh, it's when you want to select more than one mailbox. The second one. What I That's right. At reading through the tips. Yep. And so I asked the question, question, well, what if you shift click? Well, so if you want to. Get three. It's like selecting any folder or file. It, if you shift click, you can select consecutive mailboxes on the left hand side, too. So that's, that's right. Yeah, cool. there's nothing special about this in terms of yeah. all the standard selection rules apply. That's right. But the ability to limit your search to, say, three mailboxes or five instead of the 400 they, <laughs> that I have. <laughs> it, it's huge. It, yeah, because you're. It, it, for me, it's either prior to this, it was searching one mailbox or all mailboxes or a smart mailbox if I wanted to search you know, multiples. That's how I would have done it in the past. And now it's like, no, 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 dumb, dumb. I can just do it this way. <laughs> so uh, yeah. Yeah. 
Listening to this show doesn't make us smarter. Creating this show doesn't make us smarter. Uh, listening might make you smarter. I don't know, but it certainly adds knowledge to our, uh, you know, handy little tips. So it makes us seem smarter. And that might be the most important thing. Uh, Bob says, not something you would use often, but would be useful. Perhaps if you are charting your kid's growth, if you open the measure app on your iPhone and point it at a person standing and center it, if you are far enough away, it will tell you how tall that person is. And you can take a picture of that person with their height shown right on the picture. I had no idea it would do this. Now, there was some, I, I'm not, sh I haven't tried it with my phone. This tip just came in like it was, you know, hot off the presses. So I haven't tested it. Uh, I don't think it requires a phone with a LiDAR scanner in it, but it might. So it might be limited to those phones and iPads that have LiDAR. But I, but I don't think it is. I think, it, I think it'll work for anybody. But uh, we will test. So pretty yeah. cool, huh? I just I was playing with it as you were talking about it, Dave. And another cool thing it has in it. In the measure app, this is? About it. Yeah. yeah. In, the, in the measure app is a level. Super handy. I completely forgot about that. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Handy stuff to remember as we head into our summer projects here. I yeah. wonder if, I wonder how that level works. I wonder if there's an accelerometer that does that, or I'm wondering if it mm -hmm. could be an artificial attitude indicator. Oh. Not that I would ever fly instruments that way. But <laughs> no, but if, be, if, if, if that was the only instrument you had left, yeah. I would use it. Yeah. In a pinch. Oh, you got to let us know, Pete. Yeah. I, I wish I had thought about it earlier this week because i you know i spent yeah. way too many hours on an airplane on monday yeah exactly but if you're at a 60 degree angle of bank uh level turn that, that brings you to two g's if it's accelerometer then that would indicate level right two g's but level right um, but if it's uh somehow got another way of sensing it i'll be interested to find out yeah because there's a gyroscope in there but yeah but yeah huh i'll play with that all right, yeah, yeah, please do report back safely, of course. Yeah, we will assume whatever answers you give us are only uh, found when you are a passenger on a plane, and certainly never when you are in charge of flying the big, yeah. huge piece of metal in the air. Yeah. So, yeah. Actually, I would never do that on the, uh, on, on the, on the heavy stuff. Right. My little airplane. Oh, story. You can do that stuff. That's no. true. You're, yeah, it's the, the, yes, that's right. Fair, 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 fair. That's right. All right. Uh, anything more on that before we move on here? Cool. Listener Brad says, uh, let's see. He said, if the need arises for someone to restore a previous version of something from a network drive on a Mac, uh, you can do so. Uh, you can do this on a Mac by adding the tilde snapshot immediately after the SMB path. So if the SMB path is, you know, SMB colon slash slash IP address slash my folder, then you would add to the end of that slash tilde and the word snapshot in all lowercase. And you will get a window of all of the snapshot folders on that volume with dates and times that can be expanded and you can dig in and pull things out of those snapshots. Awesome. I love that it. Awesome. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, like that's pretty cool. 
That's pretty cool. And I, from the way Brad worded things in his, in, in the longer version of his email, I think this, uh, this this construct of using, you know, slash tilde snapshot at the end is common to Windows as well. But I, I, I don't have a Windows machine to test it, so I might be misinterpreting that. But certainly worth trying if you want to do the same thing uh, to a Windows server. Obviously, a Windows client can do that to a Mac because SMB clients are SMB clients. But uh, but I think it goes the other way. I think you can quote me on that as long as you add the I think. Yeah. Hey, I got a quick tip that just came up. Go. As we were doing the pre-show, I was trying to figure out how to put the banner in, and we I couldn't get it to space properly. Okay. I, I was putting spaces in front of it, and it kept justifying left. And Barry Kay in the chat room said, well, try a hard space. And so we tried what he said, control space, and he came back. He said, no, it's, it's I was I misspoke. It was option space, and it works. Option space will put a hard space in something that is trying to justify left on you. So probably a very limited use, but it worked here. <laughs> no, I can see that because there are times when, you know, I want to use a mono spaced font in order mm -hmm. to know that five spaces are going to be the same distance, regardless of where they happen to appear, because a, a non mono spaced font, the spaces can get you know, manipulated. Oh, I don't wonky. know what, the, yeah, they can get wonky. That's and a technical term. That is a technical term. That's right. Yeah. So, all right. So option space puts a hard space a in hard space. Yeah. So thanks, Barry K. I like it. Oh, nice. I love it. All right. Uh, I, you know, I have been looking for the right MagSafe charger for my bedside. Right. And currently I am using the Belkin Boost Charge Pro 2-in-1, which has a MagSafe thing for the phone and then a little sort of chi uh, pad in a tray that really is built for AirPods. I'm not sure what else it would work with. Well, you might be able to lay a phone over it, but you're adding some distance there because it's got like a little divot for your AirPods case to sit in. I'm eager to try out the 3-in-1, which adds a, the ability to charge the watch on there. But having Mags, MagSafe next to the bed is... The only way to wirelessly charge reliably. Too many of us have woken up with uncharged phones because they weren't sitting right perfectly on the cheap pad that doesn't have MagSafe. So MagSafe has been great ever since I moved to that. But like I said, I'm looking for the three in one and I don't have one of the Belkin ones. So I was searching all over Amazon and there's tons of them and they, you can find them for about, I don't know, 40 bucks maybe. But all of them have a light on the bottom that shows you when things are charging. I don't want a blue LED or a green LED or really any color color LED next to my bed while I'm trying to sleep. That's bad. It's bad for me. It's bad for all of you because then I get crazy when I do the show if I don't sleep. Listener Craig, excuse? What's, <laughs> that is my excuse. You don't want to hear the song that I made up about the cat that woke me up at 530 this morning, Pete. <laughs> it's it's not safe for the show. Let's put it that not way. Not safe for the cat, I'm betting. It's definitely not safe for the cat. That's right. It, this is not my favorite cat that we that, that woke me up. If it was, I, of course, would have given him a pass because that's what you do with your favorite favorite cat. Uh, this was not my favorite cat that woke me up howling for 10 minutes at 530 in the morning. Mm -hmm. It did allow me to get through all of the questions that John didn't go through uh, while I was away. And so I like we're caught up. So, you know, there you go. Sure. But I, I wrote a nice little song for the cat that I will not be sharing uh, here on the show. Craig, however, has a solution not to my cat issues, but to the uh, 
LED light shining in your face while you're trying to sleep issues. He says, what if you took an NFC tag and stuck it and placed it over the light? And that's this way you can kill two birds with one stone or two cats. I don't know. Cover up the light and use the NFC tag to initiate any sleep shortcuts that you want to run every time you go to bed. Right? Yeah. I, I loved this for a, a variety of reasons. Uh, one of them is just as a reminder to me to use those NFC tags that I have because I, I bought like a pack of 20 of them. I don't know. It costs like six bucks or something on Amazon. But they can be super helpful. You can embed your Wi-Fi password in them so that guests can just like tap it and get on your network. You can have them do, you know, shortcuts or all sorts of different things. So handy little NFC tags. Thank you for the reminder, Craig. I've never used NFC tags. That's brilliant. Yeah. Hey, you, yeah. You definitely want to get some, Pete. Um, okay. Yeah. We'll we'll find a, a pack of them on Amazon or something and put them in the show notes just so uh, people can, you know, have an easy place to start. But, Let me look for that. Will you move on? All right. Sounds good. Perfect. Uh, any thoughts on that, John, before we move on, though? No. Okay. I just needed tea. Oftentimes, I will ask that question, hoping for more than a one-word response so that I can actually swallow my tea, but it's all good. Uh, listener Corey sent, and of course, Corey is is a listener, and he's also the person who is uh, responsible for creating and maintaining our Mac Geekab iPhone app. Uh, Corey heard us talking on a recent episode about Hoobs, which is an engine that allows you to... Add home kit, add devices, add non kit, non home kit devices to home kit. And Hoobs is based upon Homebridge, which is sort of the core tech that that lets you do that. Hoobs added a graphical interface to it years ago that was much easier to manage. Hoobs has gone from version three to version four, and there is no uh, Docker way to do Hoobs four uh, on my Synology disk station yet. So I had not moved to Hoobs four, and he heard me talking about that. And he said, uh, you know, I know you like hoobs and you've used hoobs, but you should go back to Homebridge because Homebridge now is so much better than it used to be. It has a gra- graphical interface and uh, it, it's 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 actually, in his opinion, better than the one in hoobs. And he is correct. Even better than that or adding to that is that there is a package for Homebridge on DSM-7 for us Synology users. So I don't even have to mess with Docker for this. And I was able to get it installed very quickly. I moved all my things over to it, and it has been fantastic. The nice part about the uh, new Homebridge, which carries over to to Hoobs version 4, is that you get to run a separate bridge for each family of devices that you are running instead of just one bridge for all of them. This sounds like technical mumbo jumbo, and it is. The net effect, though, is that if you have one type of device that is causing problems in Homebridge, the old way, when there was just one bridge, it brought everything down. Now it only brings that device down if you do a separate bridge for each one. So it's it's a whole lot more stable, and it has been great. Uh, it's been I've had it running for probably a month now. So thank you, Corey, for that that heads up. And uh, if ever, if anyone out there is is interested in it, that's the way to go. We'll put a link in the show notes. Well, also, we're going to be doing now that I'm back from my travels, my you know May's worth of travels. We're going to be doing some uh, hangouts, if you will, in our Discord uh, room 
our Discord channel at MacGeekGub.com slash Discord. I think the first one that we're going to do is about Plex. We'll just get together and, and talk about Plex. I, I, I will happily lead the conversation, but hopefully I don't have to lead it for very long. And it just becomes a collaborative kind of thing. And, and, and everyone will be in, invited to that. So uh, you can if, join our Mac Geekab Discord channel. That's where you will find out about these things as we sort of experiment with, with other ways for us all to interact. And, you know, go ahead, Pete. Yeah. Yeah, see, one of the neat things about Plex is, as you know, is that you can share your library with others. And that might be a place for people to go, oh, you know what? Here's a good way to. Yep. Here's a good way to find people with whom. Willing uh, to share. Yeah, that's right. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Uh, anything more on that before we move on to our last two quick tips here? I guess not. I've didn't even nothing. I didn't even get a single word answer that time. Amazing. <laughs> Brad shares a handy little, if it, albeit geeky, terminal quick tip. He says, if you need to force the kill all command from the terminal to generate a crash report, Add a dash three to it. So you would do kill all dash three, kill all one, one word, lower, lowercase space dash three space, and then say finder, the, the word finder with a capital F, because that's the name of the app. It would kill the finder and generate a crash log for that quit, which is great. I love it. Thank you for that, Brad. These are cool things. Yeah. Yeah. The kill all command I like a lot because it means I don't have to look up the process ID of the the process that I'm killing. Of course, if there are multiple instances of a given process by name, well, you can guess what the kill all command will do to all of them. Yeah. Right? That's perfect. It is perfect. I like it. Yep. Uh last quick tip, then we'll then we'll um we've got some questions to go through and we'll Tell you more about our sponsors. I, I promised I would tell you more about New Relic and uh, even a new thing maybe about BB that, that, that you don't yet know. So, uh, But first, I want to share a thing that I saw on Twitter, I believe, from Jeff Gamut. He's been running the iOS 16 and iPadOS 16 developer betas, and he points out that you can see the password for the current Wi-Fi network now. You can expose this in iOS. This has never been something that you could see before. Uh, there was it, you, the 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 I, I was in a I went to a Sonos event years ago, and it was for I don't know they were releasing some I forget what they were releasing, but they set up a play one in each of our hotel rooms, right, so that we would get there, and it was set up with an iPad. So that you could get to the room and you could play whatever you wanted, you know, on this play one in your hotel room while you were there for the weekend. It was a really nice touch. Good, you know, smart move for a press event. Great, great idea. And I was like, well, I want to connect to this from my devices, though. I don't want to just use their iPad. Like, but I can't get the password for the Wi-Fi network out of that iPad because it it doesn't show until you have iOS 16. And this was in the past, not the future. So I didn't have iOS 16 yet. And then I had an idea, John. I was like, okay, wait. If I log this iPad into my iCloud account, my Apple ID, it will then sync all of the, my known Wi-Fi passwords back and forth bi-directionally. And sure enough, as soon as I logged it in, the Wi-Fi password showed up in the list on my Mac. And on my Mac, I can go into the keychain and see it. So I was able to get the password <laughs> and then log things in. 
But um, it was a little extra to have to do that. So uh, so now you don't have to do those sorts of crazy yeah. things. Yeah. Yeah. It's good find. Mr. Gamut. I like it. A, uh, a recent guest, a recent two-time guest on the show. Yeah. Yeah. You saying he's a two-timer? What? Uh, well, <laughs> uh, I, I think the appropriate thing would be that he is a many-timer. He Jeff there appears you. on many, many podcasts. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, yeah, we've got your questions. Maybe we'll have some time for cool stuff found. John, if uh, if we're good with all the quick tips, the next thing I'd love to do is tell everybody about our two sponsors for this episode. Sounds good. All right. You know what? If you're a software engineer, you've been there. Troubleshooter, it's 9 p.m. You're finally unwinding from work. Your phone buzzes with an alert. Something's broken and your mind's already racing at what it could be. And you're probably wrong because you don't have enough data to come to a conclusion, right? You get whatever that alert is, and suddenly everything, all the wheels are spinning, the whole team's scrambling from tool to tool and messaging person after person to find the issue, to figure out what it is, to fix it. That won't happen if you get our sponsor, New Relic. New Relic combines 16 different monitoring products that you'd normally buy separately so engineering teams can see across their entire software stack in one place. More importantly, you can pinpoint issues down to the line of code. It sounds like magic. I think it is, but it actually works. And that way, you know exactly why the problem happened and can resolve it quickly. That's why the DevOps teams at DoorDash, GitHub, Epic Games, and more than 14,000 other companies use New Relic to debug and improve their software. So whether you run a cloud-native startup or a Fortune 500 company, it takes just five minutes to set up New Relic in your environment, and that next 9 p.m. call is just waiting to happen. Get New Relic now before it does, and you can get access to the whole New Relic platform and... 100 gigs of data free forever. No credit card required just for being a Mac Geek Gab listener. Sign up at newrelic.com slash MGG. That's N-E-W-R-E-L-I-C dot com slash MGG. Newrelic.com slash MGG. And our thanks to New Relic for sponsoring this episode. Next up is BB Edit, and BB Edit 14 brings a horde of new features, changes, and improvements with new significantly deep capabilities for developers and data scientists. But it also offers many features for everybody who works with text, which I think I'm counting, I'm looking at all of you out there. Yeah, that's all of us, right? We all work with text, whether it's counting words in a document, comparing two files, search, multi-file, find, and replace. These are things that are part and parcel of the foundation of what BBEdit is. It doesn't matter whether you ever program a line of code, BBEdit is going to be able to help you. You're going to love it. And if you are a programmer, well, this is where BBEdit shines even more because it understands the languages that you're programming in and allows you to see your code in a way that shows you where your functions start and end. It's got this note system now. If you use BBEdit in the past, you had a clutter of untitled text documents that just had all your little notes. Well, no longer, because BBEdit now has this note system. You can create notes from any convenient source, your clipboard, whatever. And now it supports creating multiple notebooks in any desired location. So go check it out. Go to barebones.com. Check out BBEdit. You get a 30-day fully functioning trial to check out all the features of the app. 
And then after 30 days, really, trust me, you're going to want to buy it. But if you don't, a lot of the features stick around even after the 30-day trial. So just go download at barebones.com, bbedit14. You're going to love it. Our thanks to Barebones for sponsoring this episode. All right, John, you want to take us to Bill and his question? Uh, I'm going to take us to Bill. Nice. So Bill says, I'm looking for a way to dislodge myself (laughs) from Comcast by substituting a cell provider for the gateway's internet input. Some of Eero's blurbs gloss over installing a cell SIM card, but don't provide many details. Am I wasting my time pursuing this course of action? Um, I would say no. Um, because these days, Dave, with 5G, which is supposed to be fast, it's feasible to use 5G or cell, uh, as was mentioned, uh, for home internet. How do I know this? Because I'm getting stuff in the mail and Verizon even came to my door to try to sell it to me. (laughs) Um... And they call it 5G home internet. And they're not the only ones that offer this. And the pricing looks pretty good. I think when I looked at it, so they, they advertise speeds that can can approach gigabit. Really? Yes. Okay. All right. Well, five, 5G, depending on the flavor of 5G internet, you, you could get up to that speed. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Read the small print. Sure. <laughs> I, I, I looked through their materials. Um, you may not get it both up and down. I think you'll probably always get it down. The potential is there for down, but maybe not upstream. Uh, but it looked pretty inexpensive. I think it was like 25 bucks a month or something. Yeah. So, and no data caps, which is a nice, like that, that is an issue with Comcast in a lot of places right now is they are, they are putting what I would consider unreasonable data caps on, uh, on people's connections. If you're doing, you know, like online backups, you will almost certainly hit some of these data caps or get close to them. So, yeah, especially that and and people are streaming TV, you know, with cable cutters and streaming yeah. their TV over the Internet now. And, yeah, that's just a ton of data. It can be if you're doing 4K, it, it, it that can really start to add up. You'd have to watch a lot of. Well, I don't know. Maybe not. It's, yeah, it's it's worth paying attention to your data caps. That's interesting. Huh? Um I, 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 there's a couple of comments I want to make. The first one is his comment about referencing some nebulous Eero article about putting a, a, a SIM card in. To my knowledge, there aren't any Eero devices with SIM slots. So I don't know that right. that would work. Okay. Uh, but like you can get their gateway whatever you want to call it and then you could you could attach your Eero to that via ethernet and let the Eero do your wi-fi it looks like they're uh they've got two i'm trying to think of what the it, yeah it looks like it comes with a wi-fi 6 router but it's probably not a mesh router in fact it's almost certainly not a mesh router so um yeah all right okay i like it um yeah i mean in the past what you could do, so they have a device, was it called the MiFi? Oh, that was years ago. Yeah, that's been, I Which, mean, that's been obsoleted. But but this is effectively the evolution of that, right? Yes, Yeah. exactly. Yeah, yeah. the MiFi, I think, did LTE, which probably is not what you want. But I think these these 5G things, and we're going to link to this article, so uh, CNET actually had a little okay. 
uh, Diddy here. Uh, Verizon 5G home internet versus T-Mobile home internet. Oh, which nice. Is best for you. Okay, so, great. Huh. So there are, the good news is that there are multiple options as well. Now, it depends where you live. I mean, if you live in the sticks, then you may not may not be able to get this. Yep. Yep. That's right. Yeah. Uh, and what else? I think Brian mentioned this. There's another thing called Starlink that is up and coming. It's out. I mean, I know people that have it. This is oh, okay. Yeah, it's the the satellite uh, version of 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 all of this, but it's high speed. Like the the speeds that I have seen from people with Starlink are impressive uh, for for what it is. I mean, it's it's SpaceX, right? It's it's one of Musk's companies, and it's uh, low latency. It's 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 um, I, I guess it's low orbit satellites. is really what it is. Uh, but it, you know, it's like. Low, I think the low latency is in the 100 millisecond range or maybe a little less. So, like, not terrible. Yeah, yeah I think that and, and that's the general concern because I've dealt with people that had a satellite. And the problem with satellite is not so much as, yeah, as you pointed out, not so much the speeds, but the uh the throughput, the the latency, but that's different with Starlink. Like the the blue wave satellites were, you know, hundreds if not thousands of milliseconds, you know, ten years ago. Starlink gets you. I'm looking at an article from Mashable which says that they tested it at 88 milliseconds, which you know that's different than the 18 milliseconds I get now. But certainly 88 is uh, for almost everything except maybe some really twitchy gaming. Uh, 88 milliseconds would be fine. Yeah, you frequently see more than that on uh, on the commercial VPNs. Correct. Are- yeah, correct. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair, fair. Um, yeah, interesting stuff. I like it, I, and I like that. And I think T-Mobile's is the same way. But check, you know, obviously check. But uh, I like that Verizon's 5G home internet has no data cap because the MiFi in the past, you bought a, a pack of data with it every month. And if you either couldn't go over or if you went over, you would get overage charges. And so you don't want that. But uh, but yeah, yeah, this is good. I um, when we were in Athens, Greece, we rented this Airbnb, an apartment in a little neighborhood just kind of south of the the main part of Athens, we were able to walk to sort of the the main section in about 20 minutes, but it was a great little neighborhood, great little apartment. The one thing that sort of stood out to me in some of the reviews as a potential problem was that people said, you know, the Wi-Fi might be enough to check email, but if you need to do video calls or something like it's not going to fly, I'm like, okay, you know, so I asked the guy about it and he's like, yeah, I'm going to get fiber put in. It wasn't able, like the appointment kept getting screwed up or whatever. He wasn't able to get the fiber in before we got there. So he had this DSL connection in this apartment. And when we got there and it was like, you know, I don't know, we landed at like 2 p.m. Athens time. By the time we got there, it was maybe 4 p.m. And it was weak. He had a the the DSL router, which had a, a, a you know, an access, a wireless access point in it. And then he had a. Uh, the apartment was all like concrete walls and stuff. So he had a repeater a network extender halfway down the hallway just to get to two of the bedrooms, which and th- like all of that worked sort of. But the connection was like awful. It was it, I would get packet loss uh, even just to the router. And it was just like, OK, what's going on here? And the next morning 
I woke up about 4.30 uh, Athens time, a.m., because, you know, we were still messing with jet lag and all that good stuff. I thought, okay, well, you know, I guess I'll grab my laptop and get online. And I did. And it, like, it wasn't blazing fast. It was DSL speed. So we were getting about 15 megabits down and maybe about two megabits up. But everything was glorious, right? Like, ping times were in the 20 millisecond range. Everything was good. I'm like, okay, hang on. So I dug in and I realized a couple of things. Number one, his router and extender were 2.4 gigahertz devices only. They did not have five gigahertz. And using uh, Wi-Fi Explorer, but you, I could have used iStumbler or whatever, I realized that his building was like infested with 2.4 gigahertz Wi-Fi. It was everywhere. And so I reasoned and I, like this is still my working theory. I could be wrong. But in the middle of the night or at fourth, you know, early, early, early in the morning, no one is using the Wi-Fi in their apartments. And so I had plenty of airwaves to use and things were fine. I'm like, OK, well, this guy needs five gigahertz here. He also needs a fiber connection. Like, let's be fair. If he could get a fiber connection, it would solve all these problems. But I was like, all right, well, for us here, you know, we're going to be uploading pictures as we get back and stuff. This is going to. And then we had to do uh, uh, telehealth covid tests before we got on the, the ship, which actually then the ship told us we couldn't use telehealth and we had to go to in person to do a test and it became a disaster. But we didn't quite know that at that moment in time. And uh, so I'm like, well, we got to we got to solve this problem. And we all had data on our eSIMs and stuff. So like, we, we could have just punted and used that and it would have been fine. But you know me, I like to solve a problem. So I put my laptop, uh, I connected my laptop via Ethernet to the, uh, uh, you know, to the DSL modem slash router and things were fine. And I tested it later that afternoon and things were fine. It went, even when the Wi-Fi was terrible, Ethernet was still good. So it's like, okay, it's not the DSL connection that's bad. It's just Wi-Fi that's a problem. And so I used internet sharing on my laptop. So this was my not quite yet obsolete M1 MacBook Air. It's it's obsolete now, of course, because there's an M2 Air. Yep. <laughs> but this was my not quite yet obsolete M1 Air uh, that for the four days that we were in Athens was plugged into the uh, router via Ethernet and then sharing over Wi-Fi. Now, here's the thing. You can do all of this if you go into system preferences, sharing, you turn on internet sharing. But I had to go into Wi-Fi options because by default, it wants to share 2.4 gigahertz. I'm like, well, that's not going to solve the problem. I had already tried moving channels around and all of that on his router. Didn't solve anything. I even tried changing the password on his router to see if maybe there was a neighbor that was like stealing Wi-Fi from him. Because you figure an Airbnb, that password kind of gets around. Uh, that wasn't the issue. It was just congestion. So, uh, but you can, in internet sharing preferences on your Mac, you can set it to share over 5 gigahertz. What you can't do is have it share both 2.4 and 5. So if you have devices that are 2.4 only, you would, that's And that's probably why Apple defaults it to 2.4. But I was able to change it to a 5 gigahertz channel. And for the rest of the week, it was glorious. Now, I couldn't use my laptop anywhere other than this little, like, end table in the living room uh, because, you know, everybody else was relying on it. So if I needed to do something on my laptop, I had to, like, bring over a little stool or sit on the floor while everybody else could bask on the couch or do whatever they wanted. But I didn't spend a lot of time on my laptop anyway, so it really wasn't a big deal. It was actually probably good for me to have it in a super inconvenient spot. And Would you have, like, a 
24-inch Cat5 cable? Was that what it that was? Yeah. It? Thankfully, I traveled with an Ethernet cable, right? Yeah. I, I don't know why I didn't throw a little travel router in my bag. I knew we were going to have problems with the Internet, right? Because I knew it going in. And I often throw like a little travel router or something in my bag. I did not for this trip. Um, and, uh, you know, so my laptop sufficed. But I would have left the guy, the travel router uh, in the apartment just to, you know, keep the Wi-Fi running. But I'm like, I got to take my laptop with me, man. And he's like, no, I, I, he was super appreciative, obviously. And I, I told him, he's like, do you think the fiber, what would the best solution be? I'm like, well, if it were me, which is how we answer all of your questions, too. If it were me, I just jump to the fiber. It's going to be they're going to put a five gigahertz router in here anyway when they do that. And then all of your problems are gone. And he was like, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. you know, you're my favorite guest. Like, that's always my goal on Airbnb. Favorite guest. Yeah. There you go. But it was fun. You know, it was a little thing. And then, of course, the Wi-Fi on the cruise ship was was awful. We have a, a issue going on with one of the other businesses that I never talk about here um, where I felt like I might need to be connected. It turned out I really didn't need to be. But I, I wound up buying the Wi-Fi on the cruise ship. And it was uh, it's a good thing we didn't have any issues. Let's just put it that way. It was Atrocious cool. at best. And cruise ship Wi-Fi. I, I think I paid. But at least it's expensive. Yeah, I think I paid <laughs> the same uh, that I, it was. It cost me the same as as my Wi-Fi at home. Uh, a year's worth of Wi-Fi at home was the same price as you know a week's worth of Wi-Fi on the cruise ship. So you know, at least there was that. Yeah. Yeah, but at least it sucked. Mm. It yeah. encouraged it. It encouraged me to not be on the Wi-Fi, which yeah. It wasn't a bad thing. Yeah, totally fine. <sighs> All right. Shall we get any thoughts on any of this? I just like your technical term, which it was infested with 2.4. Dude, it, <laughs> it, that is the correct term. This I mean, I've never seen I've seen congestion with 2.4 before. This was well beyond. I'd never seen it where I couldn't even reliably ping the router. Wow. I, I, I was getting 80% packet loss like during the daytime hours when, yeah, yeah, no. It was like, what is going, I, I it, like I said, at first, it, it just didn't dawn on me that it was too many people because I've never seen it that bad. And plus with concrete walls, I figured, well, you, you know, like we can't get Wi-Fi from the front of the apartment to the back of the apartment. How much could anybody else's Wi-Fi be interfering here? Well, yeah. tur turns out. Quite a bit. Yeah. Well, then go run a couple of microwaves just for grins. Hey, that's the other thing, right, is potentially this wasn't Wi-Fi causing the 2.4 interference. It might have been, you know, maybe somebody next door just runs <laughs> runs a microwave. From, <laughs> All day long. From 9 a.m. to 10 p.m., man. <laughs> right on. Yeah. Maybe, I'd, maybe you don't want to stay in that apartment for too long. So, yeah. 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 <laughs> Anyway, it was fun. All right. Uh, I guess we're moving on here. Let me let me figure out where we are here. I don't even know where we are. Uh, Lauren has a question for us. And Lauren says, I'm wondering if you have any recommendations for programs or other ways to remote from a PC to a Mac without the Mac user having to do much of anything uh, more than just hitting say yes or accept. My father is having problems with his 83-year-old uh, dad needing help with everything he does on his Mac. It's an older Mac. Not sure what OS uh, it's on, but I would guess that it's at least two versions back. What we really need is something that my dad could open on his PC, and my granddad would only have to accept or something very easy. 
Even opening programs is hard and we are hours away, so we can't just go over and help. Is there something we can install? So I'm going to treat this as a geek challenge because I certainly don't have all the answers here. My knee jerk response is, would Zoom be the answer? And I ask that because Zoom's it's great at traversing firewalls. It's great at, uh, you know, all of these things. It makes it easy. And these days, most people are fairly comfortable using Zoom, even grandparents, right? Like the, the, the lockdowns and all that from the pandemic have made Zoom calls with family and all that fairly commonplace. So if he is comfortable with Zoom, that's what I would jump to because he's because it's all right there. Uh, barring that, I, I don't I don't know. What do you, John, what do you think? Do you have any ideas? Uh, it'll come to me in a moment. OK, I mean, there's there's, you know, uh, the, the solution from Telestream that I uh, that I can't remember the name off the top of my head. I don't know why, uh, but there's things like join dot me sort of thing but do those offer control that's the other thing that might be nice not just sharing oh no you need control that's right yeah it has to be i mean you know iMessage will do it but from a windows machine no yeah. right uh so you know uh log me in would be another one mm-hmm. I, like mm-hmm. uh somebody i think it's brian monroe is typing in our in our chat room here that you could go with Google's remote desktop, which might be a good way to go. You know, something where once it's set up, your grandfather doesn't have to do anything. You can just take control. Now, he needs like it would be good for him to be aware that someone can just do this anytime they want before doing that. Obviously, there's privacy concerns and all that that should be highlighted. But setting up something that's just always on as a server, if you will, might be a, a good way to go. Um, so yeah, Google remote desktop. I like that idea. I like that idea. Um, team viewer. That's the one I've used in the past. That's the one I was trying to think of. Thank you. Yep. And I think they still have a free option though. If you overdo it, they may cut you off. That's my, that's been my issue with team viewer as well. It's, is they, they treat me like I'm a criminal every time I go to use it with someone. They're like, you're getting paid for this. Like, how do you know that? What? Mm-hmm. Whether or not that's true. How do you know that? Yeah. Uh, I think they do. Um, I think team viewer pulls the recipient of a call afterwards. Like, was this a paid thing? And if they get enough yeses on that, that's how they flag your account. I don't know. But yeah. Team Viewer, I, I would say Google Remote Desktop is probably going to be better, but Team Viewer works really well, and it may be worth it to this family to pay for a subscription to Team Viewer if, if that's the best option, right? Um, so, all right, well, folks, let us know if you have any ideas. Uh, it's called Chrome Remote Desktop, I guess is what Google calls it. But if you search for Google Remote Desktop or click the link in the show notes at macgeekcab.com, you'll get there. So. Uh, but let us know feedback at MacGeekUp.com if you have any uh, any thoughts about this. Good stuff. Thanks. Yeah. Good. Amazing. Okay. What do you do? You use anything, Pete, to to help your family members with their computers? Um, well, 
I, I am tech support from my mom, who's 96. The right. problem is getting her to even open messages on the iPad so I can help her. Yeah, is uh, is sometimes a challenge. Yeah, but uh, but I often do get the call uh, or an email actually from her. You know, so I get these two lines between my keyboard. What am I doing wrong? Oh. Okay, need a little more information than that, <laughs> mom. But yeah, you know, I just have to go over and do it. Yeah, well, I'm yeah, that's right. You got away. close proximity. Yeah, uh, but yeah, there's uh, so there's those challenges too. That you know, if it, it sounds like here, the ideal thing is somehow to get him set up the first time. Yes, and and then be able to control it. Then and then that's it. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah. All right, John, you want to? Do you have any thoughts on this, or you want to take us to Larry? No, I gave you my thought. All right. So perfect. Perfect. Uh, and now we'll take to Larry. So what Larry says, I read somewhere that APFS should only be used on SSDs and not other drives as it can cause problems. Well, I didn't know this before, and I got a couple of regular drives. And since it was the new shiny thing, I decided to format them with APFS. Did I make a mistake in doing this? Um maybe <laughs> um i'll direct you to an article here um so uh mike over at carbon copy cloner um did an article about this and you can read it and it's called an analysis of apfs enumeration performance on rotational hard drives and pretty much the conclusion he comes to is don't do that <laughs> <laughs> If I had to encapsulate what he said in the article, um, uh, he's right. Uh, APFS is designed for SSDs and maybe lacking on rotational drives. Interesting. So. Well, go ahead, Pete. What was that? I was just saying that's interesting, but why? Why? Uh, APFS is even slower on SSDs than HFS Plus was. It's it's not as efficient a file system. It's just, it's less noticeable on an SSD because the inefficiencies are not amplified by the fact that there's all this latency to, you know, move heads around the drive and things like that. But um, yeah, APFS just, I mean, it's built to have snapshots. It's built to have a variety of, you know, all the other features that we have and it's not slow by any means, but it's not as fast as HFS plus was before it, at least, at least not on the the tests that I've done and and that I've seen, but it, I I absolutely would still recommend it for uh, for SSDs, the, especially these days. And you know I don't I, I agree with you, John. If you are out for speed, HFS Plus is the right thing to do on rotational drives. However, if you want the flexibility of APFS. You can do it on a rotational, and I don't. Mm. I don't think it's going to kill them. I, you know, I don't know. It's hard to say. Yeah, yeah. That brings me to a question of what is the most universal file system, the most across all platforms? Huh? Because we were talking about multi-platforms before, but you know, is it XFAT? Is it? Yeah, that's what's a, the most universal across Macs, and then what's the most universal across all platforms? I'll give you an interesting data point. So remember, Dave, we got that um, uh, Samsung external SSD. Yep. Um, the T7, I think it was. 
um, it shipped as being formatted as expat. Yeah. I think- and I did a benchmark on it and the benchmark was really, really good. Then I was like, hmm, you know, let me reformat it as a PFS and see what happens. When I did the benchmark after reformatting it, it was, I would say, in the tens of megabits lower. So it was actually faster using XFAT. I can believe that. Sure. On the Mac. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. XFAT. That, I would say XFAT would be my answer to your question, too, Pete, is that, that that's the universal. I mean, you know, I'll use air quotes here and you can see the yeah. Band-Aids that I got from uh, trying to slice bread this morning after my cat woke me up way too early and I was I was too uh, uh, too asleep to properly slice bread. So, you know, well, at least the cat didn't give you the Band-Aids. So, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. <laughs> The wrong creature got the band-aids. Let's put it that way, Pete. <laughs> right on. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, I love cats. Cats are my favorite, favorite pets. Really, truly. I love cats. That's this particular one, Bean. He's our main coon cat. He is not, um, mm. he's not my favorite today. They're loud. They're like, I mean, he's loud, but I think in general, they're, you know, they, they like to howl. He comes into bed and he just howls at us. It's like, dude, that's, it's just, this doesn't. This this is grounds for eviction at best. Wrong room, wrong time. <laughs> wrong room, wrong time. You got it. Yep. When it's dark, we're quiet. That's how it's going to be. Uh, good thing you don't have a husky. I've I've seen some videos as of late online, and huskies howl, mm-hmm. and boy, do they howl. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We had a we had a dog that was like a a a Basenji cross mutt kind of thing, a little dog. Man, that thing. It was like that was no good, no bueno. Beagles howl, yeah. Beagles howl too, yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. She barks when we're around. When we leave her, she howls. It's so funny. <laughs> All right, this she's, isn't the bark geek. Yet, she's but. saying different I, things, Pete. That's right. So. I know we have a beagle in the neighborhood because when the fire truck goes by, I will hear the be- the beagle will howl in in unity with the fire engine, <laughs> thinking, thinking maybe it's another another beagle. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I can I can see that. Sure, why not? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but enough about beagles. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Jamie sends us a a note that I was very happy to see. Jamie says in MGG nine thirty, Dave, you said that you didn't think the Synology RT sixty six hundred AX was actually available to ship. Well, Jamie says I ordered one from B and H Photo on May eleventh, and they shipped it. On May 25th, uh, and he received it on May 31st, said, I ordered this primarily because of the VLAN features and because I want to isolate my IoT devices. I'll let you know how it goes. I'm glad to hear this. I am also glad and super happy to share that while I was away, uh, I had reported, you know, I mentioned in this show that I had some issues with the RT6600AX, specifically with regards to top speed. It wasn't getting anywhere close to the gigabit speeds that my connection is capable of. Well, while I was, and I had some other wonky things, but that was the sort of the main one. While I was away, Synology issued a hot fix for SRM 1.3, which is the software that the router runs. And as soon as I got back, I 
uh, put the uh, the RT6600 back into service. I didn't want it in service while I was away because I wanted to be able to VPN into my network if necessary. And I didn't want to be relying on something that was brand new and already proven to be a little flaky, at least for me. Uh, but I've got I've had it in service for the last five days here, four days, and it is running right now while we're doing this show. It has been rock solid. I should find some wood to knock on, but I really don't think I need it. I, like it, it feels good. Everything has been really smooth, like no issues at all since I updated the software on it, which is great. Uh, you know, that's the I mean, when things are brand new and haven't really been in the hands of consumers yet, uh, there's bound to be some things that are found. And I found at least one of them. It sounds like other people found them, too. So, yeah, I've been super happy with it. I have not yet uh, messed with the VLANs on it. I really just wanted to kind of test it and make sure that it was going to be reliable for the network before I started breaking things, because I'm sure I will break things as I add VLANs because I don't really know what I'm doing. But I'm really well, I'm, <laughs> I'm just being honest. Wrong. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but um I, I'm 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 eager to check it out, and I and I like the way the Synology interface for VLANs looks. It it they like it's the best I've ever seen. You know my my switches and stuff will do VLANs, but and and the Ubiquity stuff will do VLANs, but it's like it makes my brain hurt even just looking at the interface. And uh, and the Synology stuff looks pretty straightforward, so I'm I'm eager to try it and start playing around with it. So I will I will let you all know as that progresses. So those guys are pretty responsive. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if you remember right before you left, I wound up with an error on my Synology disk station. I do remember. I, I wrote to them and, uh, or chatted with them yeah. with customer support. And he gave me the, the thing to upload the, the logs. I uploaded the lo uh, logs and they said, okay, uh, we need access. Looks like there's a fatal error on one of your files. Uh, I set up the access for them and, they went in and fixed the corrupt file and put me back together. And that whole thing, that whole process probably took maybe 48 hours start to finish. Wow. That's but pretty yeah, good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what's really amazing to me is that's a seven-year-old disk station. Yes. And they just, you know, they went, oh, yeah, okay, here you go. We'll, we'll fix you up. Yep. No, yeah, we'll do this for a fee or any of that. Yeah. Yeah. There wasn't the, well, as a one-time exception to our two-year policy, we will help you. Just, we're help you. That's true. I never thought about it that way, but they, they make devices that have a longer shelf life than most technology. Right. right. Uh, you know, they don't, it's not an unlimited shelf life, nor would I expect it to be. But right. I, I mean, look, the RT2600 AC, the router that I used up until Tuesday is what, a six-year-old router? Right. And it's still, except for the fact that it's not tri-band for the Wi-Fi and it's not, you know, it's only Wi-Fi 5 only, Wi-Fi 5. Other than that, it's still the most capable consumer-grade router that you can buy other than the 6600, which just came out, right? So, and Dave, I don't know if you recall several years ago now, two or three years ago, I had a problem with mine. And I don't even recall what the problem was, but there were some hiccups in... In the, the throughput on that router, and it was causing issues with Debbie's VoIP phone for work okay. and a couple other things. And we tried to isolate it and never could, but we we were able to find that there were some issues. And I sent those to Synology, and I said, how about 
how about a deal? You know, you give me a new router at cost and I'll send you the old one for troubleshooting, figure out why this is. Um, they wouldn't accept that deal. They just sent me a new router and said, send us the old one. Wow. Yeah. So wow. I'm on my second 2600, but they, they wanted it back so they could figure out yeah. why it was doing what it was doing. And I got a new router out of that yeah. deal and it was well past warranty. Oh, yeah. Oh, for sure. <laughs> yeah, that's but, right. But they were yeah. curious as to why it was doing what it was doing. Even at, at like that far past things. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. That's great. I, and I like that's good. Uh, yeah. It doesn't surprise me. And, and you know, I will add to our uh, clearly what now has become a Synology love fest uh, that how focused they are on ensuring that we Apple users have the apps that we need on our Macs and our iPhones and our iPads to truly have seamless integration with the routers and the disk stations and Synology Drive and v Synology VPN. Like, I don't feel like I'm a second class citizen because I'm trying to do this thing on this device with an Apple. And, and it's never been the case, even you know, yeah. 10 years ago when, when there were less apples, Apple was even less, you know, it wasn't quite as popular as it is today. So yeah, sure. no, they've always, uh, yeah. we've uh, As any listener knows, we've, we've been very happy with the Synology stuff. And now I, I, I am happy to say that I am happy with the 6,600, which is great. I was, I was super bummed when I first got it and I had problems. I'm like, Oh, come on. Like I've been excited about this. Yeah. So I'm really excited that it's just working that, you know, I don't think about it, which is great. That's how it should be. You're into the Synology ad. Yeah, that's right. They did not pay for this. That's right. Yeah. 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 All right. Uh, any th more thoughts on that, John, on Synology in general or the router, or you want to take us to David? Um, I will take us to David. All right. Um, David says, I'm looking for a good PDF editor that is free or one-time payment. My needs are small. And before you say the built-in preview app, that thing sucks. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it depends on what you want to do. So, uh, yeah, my reflection as well is that preview doesn't always get it quite right. Um, at least, uh, so every now and then I will use, uh, PDFs, uh, pretty much for my taxes and I've tried to use preview and it doesn't always get it quite right, but you know what does get it right? I mean, how about the people that made PDF? So one recommendation is there's something called Adobe Acrobat Reader DC, which is free and I've had better results with that. So. That's not really a PDF editor, though, right? Like, you need to um, go to the pro yeah, version. That, that, that's why I said, yeah, uh, I'm, I don't know if I'm interpreting editor properly. If it's sure. for filling out forms. Got it. Then that would be my choice. Because um, preview has better editing capabilities and hmm. markup capabilities. I probably limit it to markup versus editing, which I think is – I don't consider preview to be a PDF editor – but it does let you do markup on a PDF, which is quite nice. Uh, yeah. I, I, so, yeah. Yeah. So it's not. Yeah. So, so maybe I misinterpreted it. Yeah. It's not quite an editor, but you can, but with, with the free options, you can fill out forms. So sure. if that's what you want to do. That would be my recommendation. If you're looking for a PDF editor, then I would say PDF pen is the way to go. <sighs> yeah, it is the way that I go. Um, mm -hmm. I, 
Yeah, I, but I feel like I had reason to edit some PDFs actually several times recently, and I, I wanted to change some text on them, and, and, and PDF Pen will do it, but even though I use it for this regularly enough to know exactly what I need to do in the software, like I understand the functions of the software to do it, it's still this super janky process. And as soon as I start editing things, the PDF just goes like all wonky and I, I'm in an edit mode. Even filling out forms, frankly, in PDF pen is like sometimes like, I don't know. It, it's not I, I'm I feel like the people who maintain it because it, it, it's it's changed hands several times. But it, it feels to me like the people who maintain it don't use it or at least don't use it for the purposes that I use it for. Like because if. As soon as I do anything in it, even just adding like text to it, like when, when I travel, uh, we have, you know, our workflows here, right? At, at Backbeat. And one of our workflows still relies on printing out the insertion orders that come in. And I do it because that way I can, I, I go, there's like a five-step process that we do internally to process the order. And I like to be able to, I write the five steps on there, like just one word for each of them. And then I can cross them off and I know it's all been done. But when I travel, and I was traveling for more of May than I was not traveling, uh, I would do these as a PDF. And so I would use PDF pen to put those five words on there and then just draw lines through them. But as soon as I get like finished with a text box and I click out of it, I'm like not in text edit mode anymore. It, it's like, or if I want to go back to a text box and edit it, I have to change modes intentionally and and then tap on it. It's just like, I always feel like the software has no idea what my intention is. And maybe I'm being picky. In fact, I'm definitely being picky. I certainly didn't get enough sleep last night. But I, 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 used, I have used this software for years, and it's just clunky to... to, to I, I feel like I'm always fighting with the interface of the software to get it in the mode that I want. And then it either stays in the mode too long or it doesn't stay in the mode at all. It's never in the mode that I want it in. Let, let, let me put it that way. That's my TLDR on this. I'll give you that. Something, you know, you double click a, a tool and it's supposed to stay there and then it doesn't. Yeah. Um, that's a little frustrating sometimes. Right. Um, it's like, what's right. going on here? You, you know, I just highlighted text and I hit the edit button. Don't you think maybe I want to be in a text mode to like type some things? Like, um, I don't know. What the heck else would I be doing? You know, I, like those things. So I, I would love to find a more... A PDF editor that is more in line with how I how my brain works, because clearly I haven't been able to adapt to PDF pen despite 10 years of use. Right. Like it's, There's two versions of it, too, though, There's yeah. PDF pen and PDF pen pro. And I forget what the difference is between those. I haven't used pro in a long pro time. Pro is mostly the difference is mostly that you can create PDF forms. But wow. in terms of the editing and those things, they're, I mean, they're they're effectively the same, uh, at least for what I need to do with them. Because I have Pro, but it doesn't, yeah. I don't know. So I remember PDF Pen is available in Setapp. It was. I don't think it is anymore, right? No, I, I looked. Okay. Really? Because I'm still using it. Interesting. Um, yeah, and I, uh, yeah, and I looked at the, the so the copy I have, I think I got it from Setapp. Um that's Speaking of setup, it. that's another suggestion. Uh, so the nice thing about setup, so setup is a uh, software subscription service. So you pay monthly 
and then you get access to a whole bunch of things. But the thing is, they also have uh, a search tool. Yes. Uh, so you can go and type in PDF, and it'll list all of the titles that do something with PDFs. So that's another suggestion. I, yeah, I'm looking here. I see Nitro PDF Pro is inside Setup and is listed yeah. as a PDF editor. So yeah. I'll, I'll try that. Sure. I, but I'd be curious for... Um, if for anybody out there to to share like what maybe maybe what I'm experiencing with PDF Pen Pro is just the way PDF editors work. Maybe there's something fundamental to PDFs that there's a limitation and and Dave, you're hitting the walls and quit being so unreasonable. Um, or maybe there's something better. And I would love to know. They've pulled that, though. I'm shocked. Shocked. Brian Monroe in our Discord chat at live.macgeekgab.com says that LibreOffice will edit PDFs. Yeah. And so I will I will check that. Uh, Barry K is advising that we ch- check out PDF Expert. So we will check out okay. that. Um, yeah, so we've got some options yeah. here. I like and there's a, there's one if he, uh, uh, Barry K also mentions about PDF Pen Pro for OCR and in setup there's one that does says that OCR is everything was uh-huh. that the night or was the other one no scan, uh, scan an OCR with Prismo scan an oh, OCR yeah. any document Prismo is um, awesome yeah 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 and then uh, the one I'll mention that it, because remember a PDF is basically an image of a document well not really though. So, no. Okay. No. Well, maybe, they, it, I, maybe I'm misunderstanding. Yeah. No. A PDF will OCR it. But. It can be an image, and yeah. and if it is, then OCR is your friend. But no, a lot of P, most PDFs to make them efficient, they put the the text in there, and then they embed the character. The, only the necessary characters from the font that was chosen are also there to keep it efficient. So if you're, you know, if you only if you only have it, like the word Pete. Let's say, right? They would only put three characters from that font in there, the P, the E, and the T. Yeah. And and that way, you know, it's 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 not embedding all the letters that you're not using from that font. I, and I, I'm sure I'm oversimplifying it and getting it wrong, but, gotcha. but yeah. Okay. yeah. Well, because where I was going with that is I've had some success, and in that, certainly not with editing the text and that sort of thing, Sure, using uh, uh, Acorn, which is an image editor. Right. You know, if you need to get a line, you know, like when sometimes I've found like using PDF pen, I'll, I'll type something in and it'll shift the line in a form down a little bit. Yeah. Well, you can go back at Acorn and you can put that line back across where it belongs. And, huh. and All right. Yeah. Oh. I mean, but that's really granular and slow and you're clunky and. Yeah, <laughs> yeah for sure. But it yeah, works. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, I get it. Yeah. 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 It works. Right. 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 All right. Cool. Well, I'm I'm eager to hear what people say, and even just this conversation has sort of sparked me to. Because the only thing I, I the only time I think about editing PDFs is when I have to edit one, and that's not the time to go and research other pieces of software. It's like, well, I know how to use this one. I know it can do what I need to do. I'm going to hate the next twenty minutes of my life, but it's going to be productive. Like I'm going to get it done, you know. And so that's that's how I that's how I feel every time. I open PDF Pen Pro to edit a PDF. And that's probably not the right way to approach an app from like as a user. I'm not saying they're doing something wrong. They're just doing something that's different from how I would, you know, how my brain wants it to be. Speaking of how our brains want things to be, Allison Sheridan over at NoSilicast at podfeet.com dug deep and uh, 
she wanted to pick out a, a VPN. She says, I've been trying to figure out how to assess VPNs ever since I found out that my current one was set to end of life. She says, I found that Consumer Reports did an exhaustive study on VPNs from a security practices and privacy perspective. Nothing about usability, price, availability of servers, etc. She says, I read most of their 48-page report. It's a Amazing that they could do a 48 page report on this and not mention usability price availability of service. Like that's Great. that's deep. Yeah. Uh, she says they named their top four out of 200. They called it to 50 uh, and then called it to 16 that they really investigate. She says, so I bought all four that they rated at the top and I did my own requirements analysis and picked one, which turned into only a 6000 word essay, which, of course, we will link for you. Uh, at the very beginning, she says, buy one of the ones advertised by your favorite tech podcaster or uh, choose from one of the many top 10 best VPN provider lists. The first option isn't a terrible way to go, because if you hear about a VPN from a tech podcaster, it is reasonable to assume they've used it themselves and done some sort of eval. But do you really know? So she did her, her research and the TLDR is she came down with private Internet access uh, PIA as her choice. They have a deal right now. 79 bucks gets you 39 months of uh, private Internet access. So I think that comes out to like two dollars a month or two dollars and three cents a month or something like that. Um, so I went and bought it because I've been using ExpressVPN ever since they were a sponsor. I'd kind of left it on autopilot. Uh, they're 99 bucks a year. So private Internet access and I mine like expires at the end of August or something like that. And I was like, well, I can wait till August to do this or. I'm thinking about it right now and I can stop thinking about it for 39 months. And it was like, this is, this is the time to buy. So, yeah, that's, yeah. you know, Dave, that's the one I've been using for years, but I found, you know, it'll auto renew um, if, if you let it. And then I went in there and I found it was difficult to find a way to cancel. And I thought, man, I don't need this AOL hassle and all that. Which, so which, wait, one. which one are we talking about? Pete? I'm sorry. Uh, PIA private internet access. I, it, I, I, I bought it this morning and within 10 seconds of signing up, I was able to go in and turn off the auto renew. Yes. So that, that's what I was yeah, yeah. So you can, but I, I didn't do that, but Got I didn't it. find it. So I went in and, and did it and then I let it expire because as I was researching it, I found that as a new customer, I could get a lower price yes. than as a renewal. So I let it expire, and two days later, went back in and, and bought the three-year process. It's so, so much cheaper when you do buy it over the course of the three years. Yeah, 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 yeah. And the leak in the show notes is, uh, is Allison's reference. That gives her some extra. Yeah, that's right. That's right. But I will point out, if you use a referral key, this I tried this morning because I figured, well, I'll use Allison's yeah. referral key. Why not? Uh the referral key brings you, you know, it, it redirects through as it as those do. And it brings you to the homepage and you get to choose this, you know, one of three options. And the one they highlight for you is this, you know, three years plus three months. Great. OK, I click that and the item that's in my cart is two years plus two months for fifty seven dollars. And I and I so I chatted up their support because, you know, I was up super early this morning. I don't know if I mentioned my cat woke me yeah. up. Yeah. yeah. And uh I chatted with them. And they're like, yeah, if you use the referral, then you only get options uh, to do the two year thing. If you if you want to do the three year thing, you just go to the homepage and choose it from there and then you'll get the three year thing in your cart. I'm like, well, you should make that clear on the page so that I'm not clicking one thing and finding another one in my cart. But right. they're like, OK, sounds good. Like they're not going to make any changes. So don't necessarily use the referral link in our in our show if you want the full three year deal. 
So there you go. Interesting. Yeah. Well, I listened to her show when she talked about it and she did say that she and her husband went, went separately to it and got different prices <laughs> and, and they brought that to their attention. It was yeah. only a nickel or something, but they, and they're like, yeah, we're aware of that. We're fixing that too. Sorry. Yep. <laughs> yep. yep. But uh, I haven't really tried it yet uh, because I had this show to do. And of course I didn't want to do the show over a VPN, but I, one thing I really liked express VPN will let you have, I believe three, Devices signed into any one account active. You can have them. You can have as many as you want signed in, but three active connections on one express VPN account. Uh, private internet access gives you 10 connect yeah. active connections. So like, you know, you could My have all, all your devices on it. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, 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 yeah. I was, I was excited to find one that inexpensive and, you know, passes not just, uh, consumer reports muster, but also Allison's muster because she cares a lot more about security than me. And I don't say that. I just say that as a, as a, as an observation. So, uh, Hey, if the price is right and it, it fits her m- metrics, it's definitely going to fit mine. There you go. Yep. Yep. How about you, John? Are you, are you using any commercial VPNs or do you just VPN into your house and that's it? Um, <clears throat> I use, the Synology VPN server. So you VPN into your house. Yeah. Yeah. On occasion. Um, though. Um, as far as a paid solution, the one that I like best, Dave, is Tunnel Bear. Are they still even in business? I thought they had. Wow. All right. I think she said that in that oh, one. yeah. Oh, there's definitely. Oh, OK. Mistaken. Huh. Yeah. And I'm looking at a page here. So it seems pretty reasonable. So if you get a paid plan. And you get the three-year plan; it's one twenty, so that's not too bad. It's like three bucks a month. Yeah, but but private internet access is seventy-nine for the three-year plan. Yeah, no, I'm yeah, just giving an option. Yeah, yeah, yeah um, for sure. Yeah, yeah, but they don't have any data caps. Five devices okay. uh, logged in, uh, and they have apps for uh, Mac, Windows, Android, iOS. So, do they have the ability to connect via what I'll call standard? VPN connection. So I, I know I can connect with Tunnel Bear's app, but if I want to get my disk station, say, logged into a VPN, is there any, or a, or a router logged into a VPN, is there anything? Uh, yeah, no, it's, well, they say limited support for Linux, but I think that's a client. I don't think that's a, um, I don't think that, so I, I, I do you know the answer to that? Because I think the answer is no. no. Okay, I think I think the answer is no that it it won't. You have to use their app, so it's 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 limited uh, in terms mm-hmm. of what you, what you can use. Because I I like to have one of my disk stations logged into a VPN uh, in a variety of ways. So and PIA is perfectly acceptable with that. So amazing! I love it when these things come together. All right, one. Um, one last thing, because we've got so much, you know, it's summertime and lots of people are going to be traveling and more and more of us are able to travel internationally coming back into the U S you have to go through passport control. Of course, you have to do that in other countries too, but as a U.S. citizen, you have the ability to sign up for global entry, which is like, it includes pre-check, but you know, I'll call it pre-check in reverse. It gives you the fast lane. When you are coming back in through uh, 
through immigration control into the U.S. through passport control. If you do not have global entry, there are two other lines available to U.S. citizens. One is the cattle call line that everybody else gets in and it's long and therefore slow. Not that the people that are processing it are slow, but there's just more people in line to be processed. And then between the global entry line, which is short and fast, I didn't even have to give my passport this last time, Pete. I just like they took you stick your global entry card in a little machine. I didn't know when you're a scan. It scans the barcode on your. It scanned my face. I didn't. I, it, you don't need your global entry card for uh, for flying. You need it for uh, land crossings. But your okay. passport's in it. But yeah, it just it, it saw my. I guess my retina scan. And that was the end of that. They're like, yeah, you're good to go. Here's your receipt. Go to the front. Uh, but there's a short little line in between the cattle call line and the global entry line, and that is for people using the free to use mobile passport app. I mentioned this to my son because Lisa and I have global entry, but my two kids do not. And he, as we were getting off the plane, walking down the corridor of the plane and then the corridor in Boston Logan, he put both his passport and uh, his sister, my daughter's passport into the mobile passport app, processed it, said, yep, we're here, did all the things, walked right up to the front. They were almost through faster than we were with global entry. So, and they didn't have to go through the whole global entry interview process. Yep. Yep. Anybody can do it. It's free. It doesn't cost any, like there's no, you don't have to do anything in advance. Clearly. Uh, You just, you know, as soon as he had data on the ground, he was like, I'm good to go. Okay. Scan the passport and you're done. Government enters the electronic age. I know. So I wanted to make sure to share that. I know we're, we're a little over time here, whatever that means these days, but, um, but super handy if you're doing any international travel. And uh, I wanted to make sure everybody everybody knew about it. Any more th- any thoughts on that? Any more thoughts on anything before we... Uh, it's we- funny because... So I just renewed my passport. Yeah. Um, and when you, uh, so number one, the process is a nightmare. You mail in yeah. your materials and they have three separate mailings to mail back to you your passport your passport card if you want one of those and I got one and then your original document, but it's three separate mailings. I'm like, can't you put it all in the same envelope? And I guess the answer is no. Well, it's all processed um, by different departments. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, um, uh, but they do warn you. And I think this was a feature even on my last passport. There is an RFID chip in it. Oh yeah. Um, I don't know why you couldn't just hold up your passport and and let them scan it. Oh, well, you, you do. I mean, the machine does that oh. for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And your iPhone will do that with the mobile passport app. It scans the uh, the they call it is your is your passport a biometric passport? That's the term that's used in the app. I, yeah. But uh, but yeah, it has it has that little chip and you put your it shows you where to like lay your iPhone on the passport and it scans all the data in. You're good to go. It gets your picture, all that good stuff. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's cool that the iPhone can do that. Right. So try it. And actually, that's uh, that feature is coming for driver's licenses. Not quite there yet. Well, actually, some states, states. Yeah. But Maryland and Arizona, I think, or something. Right. Right. So if you go on the wallet app yeah. and you uh, 
and you click add and then you click on driver's license, you'll see if your state has it. Mine nice. is supposed to, but it's not listed yet. So it's actually called Mobile Pass. Thanks, Pete. I think that's right. I think yep. that's I've, right. I've had it. I've used it. Okay. I, I will offer this one caution from my recollection, and, and they may have changed this. If you have global entry and you decide to use Mobile Pass, you if once you start the entry point for that given day airport etc yep you can't use global entry you have to use the mobile pass oh interesting i remember getting there and then going okay this is the mobile pass line is longer than global entry and so i went back and tried to use global entry and they rejected me i had to go back to the back of the line i don't know that it's called mobile pass oh no it is you're right it it, once it's on your phone it's called mobile pass in the in the app store it's called mobile pass port Okay. Because there was a different app a couple of years ago that we used to do this that was far less automated and far more yeah. janky. But yeah, no, yeah. So this that is the new one. Once you have it on your phone, it's called Mobile Pass. You're absolutely right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, no, that's uh, interesting to know. It makes sense. I mean, if, if they, you know, if you get if if you're in one bucket or the other, my guess I, when you know when I went up and it took this awful picture of me and and still identified me. At global entry at the kiosk, I thought, okay, they must have a bucket of people that they know are landing in Boston now, right? And so it wasn't that they had to pick me from one of everyone. It was probably one of 40, right? Like So that would be my assumption because there's no way it would have gotten it right from the stupid picture I saw on the screen. It's like, that doesn't. Like that could be anybody, and they because were like, the airlines do transmit a manifest of the exactly, yeah, to, to the co- the government, right? And, um, which I think I don't remember what the requirements are, but I think it's twenty four hours prior. We can't just walk up and go, "Hey, I'm going to jump seat from Cologne to home." Oh, two hours from now. Interesting. You have to have that done a twenty four hour prior because of the manifest issue. Yeah. That makes sense. Sure. And if that's changed, I'm not aware of it, but that that has been that way for a long time. No, my guess is that's probably right. I mean, my guess is as a paying passenger, you might be be able to uh, get a tighter turnaround Shorter, on that. Sure. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yep. 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 All right. Thanks for hanging out with us, folks. Thanks for all your questions, all your tips, all your cool stuff found. Thank you for 17 years. This is amazing. Um, we don't have any any plans to stop anytime soon, either. But like, take a minute and say thanks for 17 years. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah. I never thought we'd be doing this this long. That's amazing. John, can I mean, can you believe it? 17 years, man. No, that's <laughs> that's good. Have you trademarked that yet? The the pause. <laughs> no. Mm, no. <laughs> oh, <it's>, <laughs> All right. Make sure you listen to a podcast that is barely 17 days old. That is Pilot Pete's new aviation podcast called So There I Was, because that is how every great aviation story begins. So, Indeed, thank you. We're through episode four now. Having yeah. a lot of fun with this. Um, 
it's, uh, and, and lots lots of people visiting uh, and a lot of people from this show coming over and visiting and making awesome. comments. So so thank you. Come uh, come listen to some of the fun and the crazy hijinks. Uh, and I promise you soon we're going to get into some of the more poignant and in, ca- in some cases tragic uh, stale- tales of aviation. But uh, got uh, some people lined up and I think uh, we're going to enjoy it. Awesome. No, it's I, I've been for all your help, Dave. You've been so instrumental in helping me get the website set properly and the hosting. Thank you. My pleasure. You're part of the Mac Geek Up family, man. Like, yeah, it's absolutely, absolutely. Speaking of the Mac Geek Up family, go to macgeekup.com slash merch. Get your T-shirt, get your stickers. John, we've got to pick the winners for our, tic- our uh, sticker contest here. And, uh, yeah, thanks for hanging out with us, folks. Make sure to check out our sponsors. Of course, newrelic.com slash MGG. Barebones.com. You can go to MacGeekUp.com slash sponsors to see all the current deals that we uh, that we have for you. You know, even if it's not an active sponsor, if the deal's still there, we leave it there. Why not? <sighs> all right, Pete. Well, John got us into this. I've been talking a bunch through this episode. You got to help us get out, man. What's what's it going to be? Well, I, I got to say that I'd like to change things up, but after 17 years, the rule remains: don't get caught. You're right, and and you know what's even better is when everybody says it together. And I remember a time not that long ago, but too long, at Maxstock when I got to hear this. Don't get caught. Thanks for hanging out, folks. Don't make me mute you, Pete. Was it me? The video says otherwise. John, you're being too crazy today, man. I didn't do it.